here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Mark Levin here, our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. See, ladies and gentlemen, I come at my philosophy, my program, write my books and so forth, not as a referee, but as a committed constitutionalist who believes in our founding. I come behind this microphone and talk to you not as somebody who really believes that there's relative equality in the problems on the right and the left. And by the right, I mean constitutional conservatives, and on the left, I mean the, the gaggle. I come at this that we are right and they are wrong. Hence the book Liberty and Tyranny. I come at this knowing what progressives want to do to this country and what they've done to this country and how bleak and impoverished this country can become, if not worse. Now, I look at the situation today on immigration. Bear with me and try and stick with me on this. There has been a crisis created on the border because of the left. It's not something we, as Americans, are unable to deal with. It's something that we are prevented dealing with. We have within our own borders mayors and city councils and governors and state assemblies that are defying federal law. They're nullifying federal law every bit as much as the Confederacy nullified federal law. And we have federal judges who protect them. When the Trump Justice Department under Jeff Sessions tried to cut funds off from some of these areas, the Justice Department was blocked, which is astounding, since the federal government uses that tactic all the time when it comes to demanding all kinds of social engineering. Now what this means, ladies and gentlemen, is the courts, the administrative state, and many of these cities and states are dragging this nation into a post-constitutional governance. It's very, very serious. I look at Donald Trump. Put aside the media, put aside the propaganda, put aside the never-Trumpers and the former never-Trumpers, and I think to myself, what exactly has this man done that violates the Constitution? What exactly has this man done that violates any statute in this country? Nothing. I look at history. I look at history. I look at a president of Franklin Roosevelt, who by a military order, 9066, not an executive order, he issued a military order, and rounded up 120,000 Japanese Americans and Americans of Japanese descent forcibly removed them from their homes, took their property, and sent them to military internment camps. Oh, that's bad, Mark, that's bad. 
It's bad. The Supreme Court of the United States upheld that decision by the President of the United States, Franklin Roosevelt, in the Korematsu decision. Franklin Roosevelt is considered one of the great Democrat presidents of all time, and with many of the tenured professors in our colleges and universities in the top three of all time. Why? Because Franklin Roosevelt all but destroyed our constitutional and economic order. He's a great progressive. Every progressive president since then is standing on his shoulders. Lyndon Johnson, Barack Obama, among others. Among others. Donald Trump has never done anything like that. And yet he was accused by the party of Franklin Roosevelt a few months ago of setting up internment camps. When children were separated from adults because the country's being flooded and we didn't know if they were actually their parents or whether they were abusing the kids or whatever was going on. They needed to be vetted. We've had presidents, as I've discussed many times now, so you'll hear the echo chamber in radio, that's the way it is, many presidents who shut down newspapers, who threatened radio stations and TV stations, who threw journalists in prison. Our president doesn't do anything like that. He doesn't even threaten to do anything like that. And yet it's said that he is the greatest threat to freedom of the press ever. No, he's not. And he never has been. And of course, as you know, and we've discussed at great length, Abraham Lincoln suspended habeas corpus. Now, as we've also talked about, the Civil War was the Civil War. But what I'm trying to explain here is Donald Trump is trashed by some uninformed conservatives in the always uninformed left all the time about how he is destructive of our constitutional order, how he is violating statutes, how he obstructs justice, how he's lawless, how he's a liar, and he's none of these things. He's none of these things. Now, why am I bringing all this up? We have utter lawlessness on the left and in the Democrat Party, which is celebrated by the media. Sanctuary cities, nullification of federal law, the Democrat Party is the party of the illegal alien, not the American citizen. They confer rights throughout the states and in cities on illegal aliens. They undermine federal law, federal enforcement, federal deportation orders. We have absolute anarchy. Because that is what the Democrat Party has created, the hard left, the progressives. They are statists. President of the United States is trying to use his legitimate constitutional authority to undo this. To secure the border. And under the Constitution, he has the right to do so. Even more so, there's a federal statute that was passed in 1976, long before he even flirted in politics. 
This statute was passed by an overwhelmingly Democrat Congress. Still had the Watergate babies in that Congress. And the statute was passed to put some limits on presidential power because prior presidents, particularly Roosevelt, abused the power of issuing emergency acts. They had no time limits and no boundaries. That is why, in the case of Harry Truman, with the steel mills, the Supreme Court finally had the guts to tell him no. But we didn't have the National Emergencies Act back then. And there's a provision in that act, as I've now discussed for the last three days, that enables Congress to put a check on a president. Joint resolution passed by a majority of Congress does exactly that. The court should have no role. These are political decisions. But the president isn't violating the Constitution. He's not even violating the statute. He's looking at the statute. He's looking at the immigration laws. There's an emergency provision in the immigration law, the Immigration and Naturalization Act. And he's marrying the two up, which is what he's supposed to do, because he's getting advice from really smart lawyers in the White House Counsel's Office, at the Justice Department, smarter than the lawyers who are online, popping off, smarter than the phony lawyers who are on cable TV. Real, serious, constitutional lawyers. Not former this and former that. President's not making up this stuff. He's not flying by the seat of his pants. These are big-time litigators. These are areas I happen to be fairly expert in myself because this is how I lived for 30 years on subjects like this. Most of the people commenting on the National Emergencies Act have never commented on it before. They never heard of it before. And what it was invoked repeatedly by Barack Obama and invoked by other presidents who preceded this president, they never said squat. They never wrote about it. They never complained about it. They never said it was unconstitutional. They never said, we don't govern this way. We're not talking about this president issuing an executive order that out of thin air creates DACA. That's not what this president's doing. There was no statutory basis for DACA, and Obama admitted it. He wrote legislation out of thin air. He violated separation of powers. That's not what Trump plans to do. The reason I believe he needs to do this is there's no other way. And I looked at the editorial at the National Review, which is really a pathetic editorial, I must say. It's actually one of their weakest. They don't have a solution either. But they tell the president, don't do it. It's a terrible idea, even if it's legal, I'm quoting, which is unclear at best. It's not unclear at best. That doesn't mean some activist court won't reverse him, because we've seen plenty of that. It's quite clear, as a matter of fact. And so is the precedent. It hasn't been applied to the border, but that's the point. President's saying this is really a unique situation. We have an emergency. And it's so important to this president, and he feels that way so strongly, that's why... That's why he's taken his position and he's firm in it. On the one hand, we're told the sky's falling, the government's collapsing, every American is feeling the consequences, even though the vast majority are feeling nothing. The Democrats, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, were banging the pots and pans of the necessity to secure the border. 
And it's only gotten 10 times worse since. The economic impact on communities on that border has been horrendous. And now it's spreading throughout the country. And when you have a political party that represents illegal aliens and not American citizens, because it's in their best interest to change the nature of the citizenry, to change the demographics, that's what happened. That's why they flipped. That's why big labor flipped. It's not in the interest of the United States. And the fact that some in the conservative movement have gotten used to these numbers, have gotten used to this, is their problem. We have allowed the Democrat Party and the progressive statists all to turn our Constitution inside out. They tell us about freedom of the press, but they don't practice freedom of the press. And they wave it around while they trash the Second Amendment and the Fourth Amendment and the Fifth Amendment and the Ninth and the Tenth. While they trash separation of powers. While they nationalize through the back door more and more parts of the private sector because of the crises that they claim exist. Like health care, like education, like their whole damn agenda. And the courts uphold most of it. We're trying to claw our way back. And most of these conservatives, so-called, who write at National Review, who speak on cable and so forth and so on, they don't have a solution to any of this. They whine about it, they complain about it, they acknowledge it, but when you have somebody who is actually trying to deal with it, they chop his legs out right from under him. It's a bad idea politically, they say. Because it won't work. Well, maybe it won't work this time, but maybe it'll work the next time. You don't roll over and lie in a fetal position. You have to fight. We have a fighter in the White House. On the one hand, we're told he's not conservative enough. On the other hand, we're told he just keeps taking these actions. Others haven't done this. No, others haven't. And it's a damn shame that we cannot unite behind this man when he's trying, trying to do what's right for this country. And this is what's right for this country. This isn't the Sedition Act. It's not the Alien and Sedition Act. He's not abusing anybody. There's no internment of, of individuals going on. No suspension of constitutional rights. This is a defensive measure to build a wall, steel, cement, I don't much give a damn, and other physical barriers and whatever is necessary to secure this country. We have a fifth column here in the Democrat Party in the media. From within. From within. And while all this is going on, while we are distracted by the left, by the media, as they constantly eat away at the fabric of this country, like uncontrollable moths, our enemies organize. Red China, fascist Russia, Islamo-Nazi Iran, Stalinist North Korea. They build their nukes. They organize. 
while we have to fight the Democrats. I've got more. We'll be right back. Mark in. Our nation's oldest colleges were founded to teach students to seek truth, recognize what is beautiful, and hold up what is good. But the vast majority of them have abandoned their missions. Locked in the grip of political correctness, they no longer allow free and open discourse. Rejecting the idea of objective truth, they peddle moral and cultural relativism. Thankfully, none of this applies to Hillsdale College. For almost two centuries, Hillsdale has remained true to its original mission, to provide sound learning of the kind essential to preserving civil and religious liberty and intelligent piety. As Hillsdale enters its 175th year, it remains committed to offering its students the very best liberal arts education in the land, as well as to extending its mission nationwide through its many outreach efforts on behalf of liberty. These include free online courses, the publication of its Free Speech Digest and Primus, its Kirby Center for Constitutional Studies and Citizenship in Washington, D.C., and its Barney Charter School Initiative, which is helping to establish classical K-12 charter schools nationwide. Pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844, this is Hillsdale College. Please visit hillsdale.edu to learn more. That's hillsdale.edu. Hillsdale.edu. It's an offense against the spirit of our system for a president to fail to get what he wants from Congress in a dispute involving a core congressional power spending. And, of course, a core congressional presidential power is security. And then turn around and exploit a tenuous reading of the law to try to get to get it anyway. You know, this is so preposterous. I want you to look around, ladies and gentlemen, at the mammoth administrative state. The vast majority of it is utterly unconstitutional. I hate to tell you, we talk about shutting down the government. Much of it shouldn't exist in the first place. If it is the position of National Review that they want an originalist understanding and interpretation of the Constitution, then let's have it. But the idea that the president acting under a federal statute to try and secure the border is somehow taking us down a slippery slope. They may not know this. We are way down that slippery slope, and what he's doing is very, very minor and completely legal if he does it, as a matter of fact. I'll be right back. 175 years. That's how long Hillsdale College has been around. As we start a new year, Hillsdale's entering its 175th year, but in all of that time, it still holds the same principles since 1844. The college was founded to teach students to seek truth, to recognize what is beautiful, and to hold up what is good. Most colleges have lost their way and are now in the grip of political correctness. They reject the idea of objective truth and peddle moral and cultural relativism. Not Hillsdale College. Hillsdale continues to provide sound learning essential to preserving civil and religious liberty. Hillsdale is my favorite college because it has stayed true to that mission and extends it nationwide on behalf of liberty. From its free online courses to its free speech digest and primus, from training leaders at their Kirby Center in Washington, D.C., to helping establish classical K-12 charter schools nationwide, 
Hillsdale is educating Americans to restore our freedom. Pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844. This is Hillsdale College. Please visit hillsdale.edu to learn more. That's hillsdale.edu. The Mark Levin Show. The pool feed for the conservative media. Dive in now. 877-381-3811. The 1976 National Emergencies Act, this is from Jonathan Turley. Daniel Horowitz talked about it yesterday. I've talked about it before that, but we're going to have to keep this up. Gives presidents sweeping authority. Now, maybe I missed something, but maybe maybe I did miss it. National Review maybe has been on a uh, campaign to eliminate this act. I mean, part of the problem is there are emergencies. Emergencies of war, emergencies created by Mother Nature, emergencies that are unpredictable. And you see how Congress cannot act. And even in the best days, they may not be around or they cannot act quickly. Even Congress understood that. Congress passed this law. It's not a matter of empowering the executive branch unless the law is abused. Trump intends, if he does do this, to follow the law. That's not what Obama did with Obamacare. That's not what Obama did with DACA. And it's important for lawyers who write these editorials and who comment on TV to make these distinctions. When you're writing a brief, when you write a brief that goes to the Supreme Court as I have, or when you write briefs that go to appellate courts as I have, or you edit them and review them and your staff does it as I have, these differences, these distinctions mean everything. And yet they're not presented in the National Review editorial. And I'm not trying to pick on National Review. I hear other commentators, many of whom are not experienced in any of this, saying exactly the same thing. I think on my buddy Shapiro show, I think I heard some senators say, we don't govern this way, we don't do it. I think, do you even know what the hell you're talking about? This guy from Oklahoma, I think his name was Cassidy, you even know what you're talking about? I could be wrong. I hope I'm not. Because he doesn't. So the 1976 National Emergency Act, as he puts it, gives presidents sweeping authority as well as allowance and federal regulations to declare an immigration emergency to deal with an influx of aliens, which either is of such magnitude or exhibits such other characteristics that effective administration of the immigration laws of the United States is beyond the existing capabilities of immigration authorities in the affected area or areas. Now look, when you have these sanctuary towns... Excuse me. When you have the Border Patrol and ICE saying, we don't have a place to put all these people. When you have administrative law judges releasing these people, and then they they never come back. 95% of them don't return for a hearing. When you have well-financed by left-wing billionaires organizations that organize caravans to come into the country like never before. And when you have up to a million illegal aliens coming into the country every single year, I'd say that's an emergency. But you're being told this is manufactured, and you're being told it's not an emergency, that you ought to get used to it. You should get used to it. Now, I remind my friends at National Review and elsewhere, and they'll say, well, we never supported that. What Dwight Eisenhower did. And he didn't use the National Emergencies Act because it didn't exist. And I've talked about this before, and I've written about this, but you never know who's listening. People come and go, and sometimes, you know, you have to reiterate things. 
Not I, but Eisenhower, the moderate Republican, you know, who the liberals always point to. Dwight Eisenhower instituted a program called Operation Wetbacks. Not my phrase, his and theirs. And he ordered his generals to round up the illegal aliens in the United States. Not talking about a border wall, in the United States. And remove them. And they did. And they did. They went into workplaces. They tracked them down. They removed about a million illegal aliens. No administrative law judges, no federal courts, no highly financed organizations, no media objections. And that's what he did. Trump's not proposing that. Trump wants to put a defensive barrier on our territory to keep people out from invading our country. Now, just because the Democrats have switched their positions, just because the media have switched their positions, doesn't mean we have to lose our minds. It's the Democrat Party that's responsible for the internment of American citizens. Not us. And so what the president is trying to do is actually a rather moderate move. It doesn't change our constitutional construct. That was changed a long time ago. And it was brutally changed by Barack Obama. This doesn't do anything to it. Well, now conservatives are waving this around. They used to oppose an all-powerful president. I still oppose an all-powerful president. Unless there's a constitutional authority. And here it's even more. It's a statutory authority. Now, if writers at National Review and elsewhere want to play Supreme Court justice and tell us how this is going to turn out, fine. They might be right. They might be wrong. But a president of the United States can't operate that way. Say, look, I don't know if I'll get five judges. He's got to say, look, what are my options, lawyers? What are my options? And they tell him. You can use this power, Mr. President. He didn't create it. He didn't unilaterally issue an executive order. Turley goes on, Democrats have not objected to the use of this authority regularly by past presidents, and by the way, neither has National Review, including roughly 30 such emergencies that continue to this day. Other statutes afford additional emergency powers. Did a report by the Congressional Research Service, I read this to you, what was it, two days ago. In 2007, stated under the powers delegated by such statutes, the president may seize property, organize and control the means of production, seize commodities, assign military forces abroad, institute martial law. I oppose this, by the way. Seize and control all transportation and communication, regulate the operation of private enterprise, restrict travel, and in a variety of ways control the lives of United States citizens, quote-unquote. Can you imagine that power in the hands of a new Franklin Delano Roosevelt? Well, it's quite troubling. And the Democrats, Turley points out, 
They spent decades yielding authority to the executive branch, or years. Agreed the president, such mighty authority, was even celebrated. But now consider the objections from Representative Joaquin Castro. Yes, Trump has authority to declare national emergency for border wall. But this Democrat said, I expect the president to lie to the American people about it. Now, he's the chairman of the Congressional Hispanic Caucus. He's declared that it would be profoundly inappropriate for the president of the United States to circumvent the legislative branch and single-handedly, against the will of the American people, the American Congress, put up a wall. Now, that's a curious statement from him. He openly supported Obama circumventing Congress on immigration reforms. What does he think DACA was? And Obama ordered agencies to stop enforcing some federal laws and used executive orders to do precisely what Congress refused to do. And for the most part, the United States Supreme Court in United States versus Arizona gave him a rubber stamp. Said, look, the president has wide authority when it comes to immigration. Why? Only when it comes to an open border, but not when it comes to closing the border? Likewise, Castro and his colleagues supported Obama when he ordered the payment of billions of dollars out of the Treasury into Obamacare after being denied the funds by Congress. These same Democrats were largely silent when Obama attacked Libya without a declaration of war legislative authorization. Obama funded the Libyan war out of money slushing around in the Pentagon without any specific appropriation. Now, the thing is, Congress can act to stop the president as I've said over and over again, with a joint resolution passed by a majority of both houses. And it is quite possible that they will form shop and get their judges, at least at the district and circuit levels, try and get it into the Ninth Circuit. But the president cannot function. He cannot operate as an appendage of the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. He has to do what he thinks is right as the president. He's a separate branch of government. He didn't create this statute. He didn't create it. It's over 40 years old. It's there. We don't run our government this way. Well, apparently we do. And those who have a problem with it should have been talking a long time before this about that statute. There's some legitimate aspects to this statute when there are true emergencies and the legislative branch is really unable to function, certainly not in a uh, relatively speedy period of time. And there are dangers to that. But this is not one of them. This is not one of them. And we have a fundamental disagreement. That the border's not unsafe, they say. And that bad people are not coming across. And they downplay the statistics. And they tell us not to listen to the facts. And they ignore the border patrol. And they want to put ICE out of business. They attack law enforcement left and right. Unless, of course, it's Jim Comey or McCabe or Stroke or Page. Unless it's Loretta Lynch or Eric Holder. Then they love it. All the politicized so-called law enforcement types. The fact is that the Democrats have never been required to explain why they reverse course. The media know why they reverse course. The media know why the media have reverse course. Because it's all about the fundamental transformation of America 
And it's all about power for the status slash progressive slash Democrat Party. That's it. That's what it's all about. And the president, according to some of these so-called conservative lawyers and so forth, he's supposed to just be impotent. He should never brought us to this point. He shouldn't take on Pelosi when it comes to the budget. He should just roll over and just allow it to continue to happen. Aliens come into the country. No real security on the border. Certainly not effective in many areas. The constant change in the makeup of the voter and the constant change in the makeup of the states, the constant economic consequences for communities, and just go along with it. Because according to, I see no solution in this National Review editorial. None. None. What's the president supposed to do? Nothing. Nothing. Well, that's intolerable. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Have you ever thought about the word education? It means to lead forth. Now, let me tell you about a place that leads forth. Hillsdale College. At Hillsdale, students are challenged to discover the right way forth by reading the greatest books by the greatest minds in history. And they learn the meaning of the three ultimate and related things, the good, the true, and the beautiful. Now, unfortunately, many of our nation's other colleges have lost their way. Locked in the grip of political correctness, they no longer allow free and open discourse. Rejecting the idea of objective truth, they peddle moral and cultural relativism. But as we begin a new year, we can be thankful that none of this applies to Hillsdale College. For almost two centuries, Hillsdale has remained true to its original mission, to provide sound learning of the kind essential to preserving civil and religious liberty and intelligent piety. As Hillsdale enters its 175th year, it remains committed to offering its students the very best liberal arts education in the land, as well as to extending its mission nationwide through its many outreach efforts on behalf of liberty. These include free online courses, the publication of its Free Speech Digest and Primus, its Kirby Center for Constitutional Studies and Citizenship in Washington, D.C., and its Barney Charter School Initiative, which is helping to establish classical K-12 charter schools nationwide, pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844. This is Hillsdale College. Please visit Hillsdale. Go to hillsdale.edu to learn more. That's hillsdale.edu. The National Emergencies Act was used six times by President Reagan. Counting them up now. One, two, three. I don't believe he was opposed to our Constitution. Do you? Uh, He used it, the continuation of export control regulations. March 30, 1984. March 1st, 1985, same thing. Prohibition of trade in certain other transactions involving Nicaragua. Prohibition, trade in certain other transactions involving South Africa. Prohibiting trade in certain other transactions involving Libya. Prohibiting certain transactions with respect to Panama. Now you might say, well, that's all involving foreign activity. I, I don't understand. Trade of foreign goods with foreign countries, right? Well, what are foreigners? Right? They're human beings who live in other countries. So it's not trade. 
It's people coming into the country illegally and in waves, up to a million a year. That is, replicating the number of people that live in the state of Delaware every year, year after year. Overwhelming our border patrol, overwhelming ICE, overwhelming local and state law enforcement. That's not an emergency because the Democrats want it. Even though they've changed course, you see. It's manufactured. I am just shocked that when this president acts, the kind of treatment he receives, even by people who are supposedly in the same foxhole, they claim to be constitutionalists. They're really not. They claim to understand the law. They really don't. And just because some court says that I'm wrong or the president's wrong or the Justice Department's wrong or whomever's wrong doesn't make it so. That doesn't make it so. It means that's their opinion. But a president has to test it. He's not doing anything that's extraordinary except he's actually applying it to something that's very serious. And just because the Democrat Party wants this to occur... Actually, to me, that makes it even more serious. There's a lot of things the Democrat Party has wanted in history that has caused all kinds of problems, you know, like a civil war, uh, battles in our streets in the South and some parts of the North, all kinds of things the Democrat Party's been up to. Slavery, segregation, Jim Crow, the internment of Japanese Americans, turning their back on the Holocaust. That's right, I'll say it. And I'll say it all. And now look at the chaos that's going on on the border. They point to little kids who are dying. Well, they're partly responsible for that. Those little kids shouldn't even be in this country. But for the fact that their parents think, and these organizations try to persuade them, and the Democrat Party encourages them to come illegally where women are being raped and abused. Apparently not enough for the Democrat Party. That's not an emergency. Unbelievable. Don't forget, I know it's Sunday when Life, Liberty, and Levin is on at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific, but man, do we have a great show. Record it. I hope you'll be able to watch it. All the football games will be over by then. Don't forget, I'm on Fox Sunday night, 10 p.m. Eastern, for you and you only. I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello everybody, Mark Levin here. Our number 877-381-3811, So let me summarize very briefly and underscore the point. The president triggers the National Emergencies Act. He's not doing anything that is damaging the Constitution or any federal statute. It'll be tested, 
and the chips will fall where they may. What he's trying to do is enforce existing federal immigration law against the lawless Democrat Party and their sanctuary cities and their desire to shut down the government and drag down everyone and bring down everyone despite their propaganda campaign and their propagandists in the media. He's hell-bent, our president is, securing the border. That's why we have a military. That's why we have a border patrol. That's why we have ICE. That's why we have a Coast Guard in many respects, to secure our border. And now they dismiss it. Well, that's not a national security issue. It's not a military issue. Again, it's not a military issue in the sense that we don't use the military for uh, domestic enforcement purposes. But I don't see why you couldn't use uh, military funds or at least the Army Corps of Engineer, uh, Engineers to, uh, to support those activities. So he's not doing anything that really is pushing the edge of the envelope, except in this current culture, in this current environment, uh, where the left can do pretty much anything as they attack our constitutional order. And, uh, and this president, and perhaps others who try to claw our way back, they're the ones who are said to be acting inappropriately. That's why it is very frustrating to see Bill Buckley's magazine take such a preposterous position and twist the law and twist the logic. Now, I brought up this Operation Wetback under Dwight Eisenhower. Now, the media today would tell you Dwight Eisenhower was a great president, and, uh, of course, they like George H.W. Bush now, and so forth and so on. Anyone but Trump. Reagan, who they despised and hated and tried to destroy. Yeah, he's a good guy, you know. Many years ago, I read from this article, and I just pulled it back up. And if anything, I hope you walk away with this program with more information you had than when you started listening. This program's not really for uh, hit-and-run listeners. It's for people who want to hear what's going on and hear about context. Some people call this whataboutism. These are people who are usually leftists who don't want to hear about history or context or anything of the sort. But that's what we do here. Here's a piece that was written in the Christian Science Monitor 12 and a half years ago, 2006. How Dwight Eisenhower solved illegal border crossings from Mexico. And he says, President Eisenhower, when he was newly elected, moved into the White House. America's southern frontier was as porous as a spaghetti sieve. As many as 3 million illegal immigrants had walked and waited northward over a period of several years for jobs in California, Arizona, Texas, and points beyond. Eisenhower cut off this illegal traffic. He did it quickly and decisively with only 1,075 United States Border Patrol agents. Less than one-tenth of today's force. Now, this is written in 2006. Although there's little to no record of this operation in Ike's official papers, one piece of historic evidence indicates how he felt. In 1951, Ike wrote a letter to then-Senator William Fulbright. The senator just proposed that a special commission be created by Congress to examine unethical conduct by government officials who accepted gifts and favors in exchange for special treatment of private individuals. General Eisenhower, who was gearing up for his run for the presidency, said amen to Senator Fulbright's proposal. He then quoted a report in the New York Times. Listen to this. In the New York Times, 
highlighting one paragraph that said, this was in the New York Times, quote, the rise in illegal border crossings by Mexican wetbacks, New York Times, to a current rate of more than one million cases a year, has been accompanied by a curious relaxation in ethical standards, extending all the way from the farmer exploiters of this contraband labor to the highest levels of the federal government. Wow, the New York Times has sure changed, hasn't it? But in many ways, the New York Times has always been a racist newspaper. Years later, the late Herbert Brunel Jr., Eisenhower's first attorney general, said in an interview with this writer, the writer of this piece in 2006, the president had a sense of urgency about illegal immigration when he took office. America was faced with a breakdown in law enforcement on a very large scale. Does this sound familiar, folks? Mr. Brunel said, when I say large scale, I mean hundreds of thousands were coming in from Mexico every year without restraint. What do you say to that, ladies and gentlemen? Eisenhower, the most important general of World War II, who saw crises, he considered this his number one issue as soon as he became president. Although an on-and-off-again guestworker program for Mexicans was operating at the time, farmers and ranchers in the Southwest have become dependent on an additional low-cost, docile, this is the article, not me, illegal labor force of up to 3 million mostly Mexican laborers. According to the Handbook of Texas Online, published by the University of Texas at Austin and the Texas State Historical Association, this illegal workforce had a severe impact on the wages of ordinary working Americans. Sound familiar? Some 60, what is it, 67 years later? They found that the cotton growers in the Rio Grande Valley, where most illegal aliens in Texas work, paid wages that were approximately half the farm wages paid elsewhere in the state. Profits from illegal labor led to the kind of corruption that apparently worried Eisenhower. Joseph White, a retired 21-year veteran of the Border Patrol, says that in the early 50s, some senior U.S. officials overseeing immigration enforcement had friends among the ranchers, and agents did not dare arrest their illegal workers. Walt Edwards, who joined the Border Patrol in 1951, tells a similar story. Bill Chambers, who worked for a combined 33 years for the Border Patrol, then called the INS, says politically powerful people are still fueling the flow of illegals. That's the same situation today. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce, a.k.a. the U.S. Chamber of Crony Capitalism, backs open borders. The Koch brothers back open borders. Why? Hewlett-Packard backs open borders. Disney backs open borders. And, of course, the Democrat Party backs open borders for purely political reasons. During the 1950s, however, this good old boy system changed under Eisenhower, if only for about 10 years. In 1954, Ike appointed retired General Joseph Jumpin' Joe Swing, a former West Point classmate and veteran of the 101st Airborne, as the new INS commissioner. Influential politicians, including Senator Lyndon Johnson of Texas and Pat McGarren of Nevada, favored open borders and were dead set against strong border enforcement, Brunel said. But General Swing's close connections to the president shielded him and the Border Patrol from meddling by powerful political and corporate interests. One of Swing's first decisive acts 
was to transfer certain entrenched immigration officials out of the border area to other regions of the country where their political connections with people such as Senator Johnson would have no effect. Then on June, is this boring anybody or are you interested? What do you think, Mr. Producer? Then on June 17, 1954, what was called Operation Wetback began. Because political resistance was lower in California and Arizona, the roundup of aliens began there. About 750 agents swept northward through agriculture areas with a goal of 1,000 apprehensions a day. By the end of July, June to the end of July, mid-June to the end of July, over 50,000 aliens were caught in the two states. Another 488,000 fearing arrest fled the country. By mid-July, that's one month, the crackdown extended northward into Utah, Nevada, Idaho, eastward to Texas. Can you imagine what the Republican Party would be saying? By September, 80,000 had been taken into custody in Texas, and an estimated 500 to 700,000 illegals had left the Lone Star State voluntarily. Unlike today, those caught in the roundup were not simply released at the border, where they could easily reenter the U.S. To discourage their return, General Swing arranged for buses and trains to take many aliens deep within Mexico before being set free. Tens of thousands more were put aboard two hired ships, the Emancipation and the Mercurio. The ships ferried the aliens from Port Isabel, Texas, to Vera Cruz, Mexico, more than 500 miles south. The sea voyage was a rough trip, and they didn't like it, says Don Kopak, who worked his way up from the Border Patrol in 1941 as a patrolman to eventually head the Border Patrol from 1960 to 73. Now, this is, again, in 2006. There are now said to be 12 million to 20 million illegal aliens in the United States. The Mexicans who live here, an estimated 85%, are here illegally. One day in 1954, patrol agent, Border Patrol agent Walter Edwards picked up a newspaper in Big Spring, Texas, saw some startling news. The government was launching an all-out drive to oust illegal aliens from the United States. And the orders came straight from the top where the new president, Dwight Eisenhower, had put a former West Point classmate, Swing, in charge of immigration enforcement. Now, Swing's fast-moving campaign soon secured America's borders, an accomplishment no other president has since equaled. Legal immigration had dropped 95% by the late 1950s. Dwight Eisenhower. Dwight Eisenhower. We didn't have all the rules in place that we have today. We didn't have all the crazy immigration laws that we have in place today. We didn't have a bunch of Supreme Court decisions that really started strongly in the early 1980s and beyond where the Supreme Court, again, acting uh, unconstitutionally. You want to talk about unconstitutionally. uh, Started conferring rights and privileges on people coming here illegally. If you came here illegally and you brought your child here illegally, they did not have a right to a public education. They did not have a right to emergency care in the emergency rooms. They did not have a right to what would become food stamps. I don't believe there was a formal food stamp program and all the rest. 
No such rights. You were caught. You were deported. Today, you come illegally, and you're noble. You're better than an American citizen. You're better than an American citizen. Even though the stats show what takes place as people come here illegally, what takes place to the people trying to come here illegally, the Democrats aren't moved. Their heartstrings are not pulled. The murders that take place, Democrats are unaffected. I'm telling you all this to give it historical context. What the president is trying to do here, despite what some of these editorials say, even in conservative quarters or quasi-pseudo-conservative quarters, and what you're hearing on TV, what the president is trying to do here is not extraordinary. It's relatively mild. Apparently, I've heard he's even willing to, to confer amnesty on up to a million illegal aliens to get a few billion dollars for the wall. And the Democrats say no. This is why I said last night. This is a battle we must win. Or we can never win it. If we don't win it now, we will never win it. National Review talks about the politics of this. Other people too, not just them. Well, let's talk about the politics of this. The politics of this really are quite simple. If we can't stop the flow of people coming in here illegally, apart from the economic issues, apart from the employment issues, apart from the law enforcement issues and all the rest, the Democrats believe, know, and want 75% of them eventually to vote for Democrats. We can't win the presidency. We can't take the Senate or keep it, and we can't take the House. That's what this is all about. That's the politics you need to remember. I'll be right back. Lovin. Do you wake up in the morning feeling sluggish and have to drag yourself through your day? Do you feel bloated, tired, and out of shape? Eating healthy is a habit, but most of us don't really know exactly what we should be eating, right? How much we should be eating and how to properly prepare it. This is why I drink Field of Greens every morning before I start my day. Just one scoop of Field of Greens has a full serving of real USDA certified organic fruits and vegetables. Helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. Now this is real food, not some fake supplement lab powder. Just read the nutrition facts panel on the side. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com and get 15% off your first order with the offer code LEVIN. Now, you know you're not going to start cooking fresh fruits and vegetables, so let's not pretend. Just get one full cup of fruits and one full cup of vegetables every day with Field of Greens. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, BrickHouse, L-E-V-I-N.com, offer code LEVIN. Let me show you how seriously sickening the media are around here. So there's a poll report, and of course, Mediaite, which is becoming increasingly uh, unreadable. So I think I'll stop linking to them. It's just too radical left. It's like 10 to 1. You go onto that site, it's Trump did this, and this, and then Hannity did this, and then who gives a crap? And uh, the poll reporter, uh, I believe he works for either the uh, Washington Post or the New York Times, says that uh, he saw... 
Hannity had special access on the Trump border tour and huddled with officials, you know, like Bill Shine and others. And this is a big deal, you see. Now, what they don't tell you is Ben Bradley, who was a bigwig with the Washington Compost, used to huddle with JFK all the time, more than that. Used to party with him, used to cover up for him. Or Martha Raddatz, remember her? Didn't she, Mr. Producer, have the Obamas at her wedding, if I recall? She did. So she was huddling with them and dancing with them and partying with them. I mean, there's a million examples of this. And Hannity is not a newsman. He's a commentator. Thank goodness for his reputation. So it is truly bizarre. Truly bizarre. And yet there they are. I'll post this right now. Be the last link I do to these people. Here's their article, just so you know. Sean Hannity is tagging along on President Donald Trump's tour of the border in Texas Thursday. This is Mediate. This is an advance of their interview set to air on Fox News Thursday evening. And per one account of the trip, Hannity has ditched the press corps and is spending his time with administration officials. According to a White House poll report written by Philip Rucker of the Washington Compost, the Fox News host has been separated from the rest of the media and is getting some face time with the key staff. So what? It's kind of like you guys dealing with uh, Nancy Baloney or Schmucky Schumer. Sean Hannity has special access here, the report said. He huddled with the White House communications director, Bill Shine, who was originally his producer, by the way, and Department of Homeland Security Secretary Kirsten Nielsen, and is following along on Trump's tour, only standing with the staff and federal officials as opposed to the press corps. He's not in the press corps, you morons. Thursday's scheduled conversation between Hannity and Trump is the latest meeting of the two during a presidential trip. Hannity also spoke with the president following his talks with Vladimir Putin and so forth. What they're trying to do is get these executives at Fox all worked up about Hannity. It's not going to work. There's nothing inappropriate here. Nothing whatsoever. I mean, you have individuals on all these cable channels, bar none, who so hate Trump that maybe they're the ones that need to get slapped down. By management. Maybe they're the ones who need to be lectured by management. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'll be right back. The cost of freedom is high, but this phone call is not. Call Mark Levin toll-free at 877-381-3811. I'm going to change the subject. doesn't mean I won't take calls on this and move into some other areas. There's other things going on. This is the program that discusses the Constitution, how it works today, how it used to work, how we got the various provisions and what they mean. We don't do it in one show. We've done it for 15 years the Declaration of Independence, the American founding. We discuss economics, private property rights, free commerce is what they used to call it, now we call it capitalism, and why those who attack it, including from the right, are so wrong. We have to defend capitalism. Defending capitalism is defending liberty. We talk about philosophy like no other program because we study it here, and I write about it, and we refer to it. And we talk about many other things, too. World history. That's the great thing about having this format. 
And more and more people see that, I think. And uh, so that's, uh, that's one of the things that I think is very, very important. So you can get us on our podcast, too, which, uh, which you can take where you, any, with you anytime, anyplace. And um, one other point I would mention, then we'll get, get down and dirty here. I want to thank our friends at KRLA in uh, Los Angeles. KRLA is a station, one of the biggest stations, if not the biggest station, owned by a different company than the company that I'm uh, syndicated with, which is Westwood One Cumulus, by Salem. And Salem on KRLA in Los Angeles runs this program live from 3 to 6. And we're up against KEIB and we're up against KBC. KBC runs a tape-delayed program. We are not tape-delayed. We are live in Los Angeles. And I want to thank Salem and KRLA. They do a hell of a job there. They have a great lineup. Now they have Sebastian Gorka. They've got Dennis Prager. They've got a great morning show that I've been on. Just great. With Brian and Jen. And of course, Larry Elder, who's absolutely terrific. It is a great lineup. So I want to encourage those of you who are listening on other formats to take a listen to KRLA. It's got a 50,000 watt uh, reach during the day as well. And the program director there knows exactly what the hell he's doing. As do the uh, as do the GM and uh, Phil Boyce. So we appreciate that very much. You folks out there, thank you for your loyalty as well. There was a great speech given today by the Secretary of State. A great speech. And I, I wanted to play a few clips for you rather than me talking, talking, talking. He was in Cairo, Mike Pompeo. And this is a very accomplished man. This is a man who graduated... What was it, West Point or Harvard? West Point. This is a man who, uh, who served in the military, served in Congress, was head of the CIA, and now is Secretary of State. He's always smiling, too, I notice, which is kind of cool. Uh, unlike Pelosi, who's always frowning and her eyes popping out of her head, and that's a whole other story. And by the way, you're going to want to listen to Hour 3 where I talk about Paul Pelosi. Who's that? That's her husband. Why don't we know more about Paul Pelosi and the tens of millions of dollars that he's acquired for himself and his wife? We're going to talk about that in the third hour. But right now, a real statesman, Mike Pompeo, here he is in Cairo. I I want to encourage you to listen to this because you'll also see that he absolutely rejects the Obama approach to foreign policy. But cut 16, go. ISIS. Hold on, hold on. I made a mistake. Cut 15, go. These lands witnessed convulsions from Tunis to Tehran as old systems crumbled and new ones struggled to emerge. That's happened here, too. And at this critical moment, America, your longtime friend, was absent too much. There he is. He's talking about Obama. And he's talking to Sisi and his his government and, uh, and others who are there. Again, he's in Cairo. Go ahead. Because our leaders gravely misread our history and your historical moment. These fundamental misunderstandings set forth in this city in 2009 adversely affected the lives of hundreds of millions of people in Egypt and all across the region. Remember, it was here, here in this city, 
that another American stood before you. He told you that radical Islamist terrorism does not stem from an ideology. He told you that uh, he told you that 9/11 led my country to abandon its ideals, particularly in the Middle East. Here he's pounding on Obama, as he should. Go ahead. He told you that the United States and the Muslim world needed quote a new beginning. End of quote. The results of these misjudgments have been dire. In falsely seeing ourselves as a force for what ails the Middle East, we were timid in asserting ourselves when the Times and our partners demanded it. We grossly underestimated the tenacity and viciousness of radical Islamism, a debauched strain of the faith that seeks to upend every other form of worship or governance. Mm-hmm. Cut 16, go. ISIS drove to the outskirts of Baghdad as America hesitated. They raped and pillaged and murdered tens of thousands of innocents. They birthed the caliphate across Syria and Iraq and launched terror attacks that killed all across continents. America's reluctance, our reluctance to wield our influence kept us silent as the people of Iran rose up against the mullahs in Tehran in the Green Revolution. The Ayatollahs and their henchmen murdered, jailed, and intimidated freedom-loving Iranians. And they wrongly blamed America for this unrest when it was their own tyranny that had fueled it. Emboldened, the regime spread its cancerous influence to Yemen, to Iraq, to Syria, and still further into Lebanon. Mm-hmm. Our pension, America's pension for wishful thinking, led us to look the other way as Hezbollah, a wholly owned subsidiary of the Iranian regime, accumulated a massive arsenal of approximately 130,000 rockets and missiles. Understand what's going on here. He is absolutely eviscerating, undressing Obama, Kerry, Hillary Clinton, and their disastrous policies. Whereas Obama went overseas and trashed America, Pompeo's going overseas defending America, and eviscerating Obama. This is a big deal. Go ahead. They stored and positioned these weapons in Lebanese towns and villages in flagrant violation of international law. That arsenal is aimed squarely at our ally, Israel. Yep. Cut 17. So today, what did we learn from all of this? We learned that when America retreats, chaos often follows. When we neglect our friends, resentment builds. And when we partner with our enemies, they advance. The good news, the good news is this. The age of self-inflicted American shame is over. And so are the policies that produce so much needless suffering. Now comes the real new beginning. In just 24 months, actually less than two years, The United States under President Trump has reasserted its traditional role as a force for good in this region. We've learned from our mistakes. We've rediscovered our voice. We've rebuilt our relationships. We've rejected false overtures from our enemies. And look at what we've accomplished. Look at what we've accomplished together. Under new leadership, America has confronted the ugly reality of radical Islamism. This is absolutely outstanding. Only two more clips, but I wanted you to hear this. Cut 18, go. West Point taught me a basic code of integrity. 
If we commit American prestige to an action, our allies depend on us to follow through. The Trump administration did not stand idly by when Bashar Assad used chemical weapons against his people. Indeed, President Trump unleashed the fear of the U.S. military not once, but twice with allied support. And he's willing to do it again, although we do hope that he does not have to. For those who fret about the use of American power, remember this. America has always been and always will be a liberating force, not an occupying power. We've never dreamed of domination in the Middle East. Can you say the same about Iran? In World War II, American GIs helped free North America from Nazi occupation. He meant North Africa there, but go ahead. Coalition to liberate Kuwait from Saddam Hussein. Would the Russians or Chinese come to your rescue in the same way, the way that we have? And when the mission is over, when the job is complete, America leaves. Final cut, clip 19, go. Let's turn to Iran. President Trump has reversed our willful blindness to the danger of the regime and withdrew from the failed nuclear deal with its false promises. The U.S. reimposed sanctions that should never have been lifted. We embarked on a new pressure campaign to cut off the revenues the regime uses to spread terror and destruction throughout the world. We joined the Iranian people in calling for freedom and accountability. And importantly, we fostered a common understanding with our allies of the need to counteract the Iran regime's revolutionary agenda. Countries can increasingly understand that we must confront the Ayatollahs, not coddle them. Nations are rallying to our side to confront the regime like never before. This is just great. And, of course, it was much longer, and uh, he addressed other topics, too. But I wanted you to hear that. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. a brand new sponsor. We have several of them this year, and I'm very excited about this one, because this one really does help you in a big way. I don't know about you, but watching the news and fighting the onslaught of fake news takes up a lot of mental and physical energy. You need to stay sharp, and it starts by eating right. This I have learned the hard way. If getting healthy was one of your resolutions, I have an easy, effective way, and it only takes a minute out of your day. Seriously, listen up. It's called Field of Greens. This beats trying to eat enough fruits and vegetables by a mile. Field of Greens is a real superfood, not like the fake health powders made up of extracts. There are no extracts. This is real food, organic food, and the difference can be seen right on the bottle. It has a nutrition facts panel, not supplement facts. One scoop of Field of Greens has a full serving of real USDA organic fruits and vegetables complete with antitoxins. One scoop of this daily will power you with clean, real energy that fuels a healthier and happier lifestyle. And I started taking this four days ago. Honestly, I can already tell the difference. And it tastes very good. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com BrickHouse L-E-V-I-N dot com and take advantage of our limited time offer. Here it is. 
15% off your first order with the promo code LEVIN. Again, that's BrickHouseLevin.com, promo code LEVIN. And I cannot emphasize enough. You know I'm not a health nut. I do a little exercise three days a week with my buddy Justin to keep my heart moving and to stay in shape at the direction of my wife, but that's what we do. She is a marathon runner. She started using this. I am not a marathon runner, but I want to be healthy. I've got kids and I've got grandkids and I have a wife and so forth, and I have you, my beloved audience. If you think as I do, you really should try this. It's BrickHouseLevin.com, BrickHouse, L-E-V-I-N.com, and take advantage of their limited time offer. 15% off your first order with promo code L-E-V-I-N. BrickHouseLevin.com, promo code LEVIN. And it really tastes good. Check it out. I've got a very powerful third hour, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to take a little bit of a look at... The Pelosi's finances, we're going to continue our demand and try and get all of talk radio, all the backbenchers to support us and demand 10 years of her and her husband's federal income tax returns. We'll be right back. If you have a moment, I want you all to go to BrickHouseLevin.com. Just go there and click on the Buy Now button so you can read the reviews. Over 1,200 five-star reviews, I might add. But this one caught my attention from Steve in Denver. I'm upset with Mark because he's got me hooked on Field of Greens. What a great product. Thank you, BrickHouse, for your amazing product and great customer service. I'm a monthly subscriber, and I won't live without it. And you're welcome, Steve. And subscribing is smart. You save money that way. Field of Greens is made with real USDA organic fruits and vegetables and helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. Plus, they offer a 100% satisfaction guarantee or your money back. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com or call 833-RING-BHN. Get 15% off your first order with promo code LEVIN. That's BrickHouseLevin.com or call 833-RING-BHN, promo code LEVIN. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello everybody, Mark Levin here, our number 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811, February 7th is almost a month away, right? Three, three and a half weeks. Do you hear the media already? Michael Cohen is going to be testifying in public to a committee of the House of Representatives. And they even tell you, so get ready. Michael Cohen is a confessed serial liar and a crook. But they don't care. Get ready, ladies and gentlemen. Because the media are excited. They're going to jack up their ratings. They're going to build up Michael Cohen. He's the next Stormy Daniels, don't you know? Well, you get my point. All right. Nancy Pelosi. I was doing some research, which is my want. And there was a piece several years back in the San Francisco Chronicle. 
on, quote, Pelosi's husband prefers a low profile. Successful investor is taking care to avoid causing controversy. And I thought, you know, what's good for the goose here is good for the gander. If they're going to keep digging into Donald Trump's finances, going after his family members, going after Ivanka and Jr. and Kushner and all the rest, well, you know what? Why do we sit here like a bunch of stiffs? Why do we sit here and look like Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer in a response to Donald Trump? We need to take them on. The Pelosi's are worth about $100 million, maybe more. We don't know. She's the Speaker of the House. How do we know she doesn't push legislation or hold legislation back that doesn't benefit her family? How do we know this whole illegal immigration thing isn't to benefit her and her family and their winery? How do we not? We have a right to know, don't we? Isn't that the line? We need 10 years of the Pelosi family's tax returns. Husband and wife. And kids. And all the kids. Just in case. Paul Pelosi. Now what's interesting, as you'll find out from this article, is Nancy Pelosi hasn't had a private sector job for decade after decade after decade after decade. She was first a political volunteer the early 1980s, and of course now she's Speaker. So she really, she's 78 years old right now, as as is her husband. So really, for almost 40 years, she hasn't had a good-paying private job. So when she said the other day, and took a shot at President Trump, said, you know, everybody can't borrow money from their father, you know, the Fred Trump and Donald Trump story where he borrowed a million dollars. I posted, and I'll repeat here, well, everybody can't be married to your husband either, can they? Because the inference is Donald Trump wouldn't have been successful financially but for his father, and it's clear that Nancy Pelosi wouldn't be successful financially but for her husband. She lives off the money her husband earns in their many homes and estates. It says, for more than 20 years, Paul Pelosi's been able to stay in the shadows, even as the millions he has made as a successful San Francisco financier and businessman have helped fuel the political career of his wife, Nancy. I've made a conscious effort to not be involved or give the appearance of being involved in her political career, he told the San Francisco Chronicle in 2004. People should realize that she's the one. Really? And they point out, this is, I think, from 2006 or so. That could change now that Democratic Representative Nancy Pelosi is slated to become the first female elected Speaker of the House. Many of the same conservative Republican commentators and bloggers who used this past campaign to raise the threat of her San Francisco values, steering the Congress hard to the left, are turning their sights on 66-year-old Paul Pelosi. Really, I haven't seen anyone turn their sights on him. And that's my point. Because I want to turn my sights on him. But the couple's net worth, most of it linked to Paul Pelosi's investments, has made the legislator the ninth richest person in the House of Representatives. The family money, along with the many business and social connections Paul Pelosi has brought to their 43-year marriage, now it's much longer, gave Nancy Pelosi the financial independence she needed to spend long hours doing unpaid Democratic Party business in the 70s and 80s. Well, really half a century then. 
Since she was elected to Congress in 1987, it has also added a degree of comfort to her life in Washington, where she has a $1 million-plus residence. And remember, this is 2006, and a lifestyle that doesn't depend on the $212 annual salary she will receive as speaker. Like I said, she relies on her husband for her income and her lifestyle. You want to take a shot at Trump? Then we need to take a shot at her. And I want to know a hell of a lot more about their finances today, ladies and gentlemen. She's the Speaker of the House. She said she's the equivalent of the President of the United States. She pushed through a bill in the House immediately, calling for 10 years of tax returns on a presidential and vice presidential candidate. Her committees that she controls, she pulls the strings in the shadows. They're going to demand the President's tax returns. We must demand hers. And every members of Congress, all the members of Congress, 10 years of their tax returns. Republicans, Democrats, senators, House members. The time should be over when they're treated as they're treated. They, uh, they immunize themselves from transparency, from the Freedom of Information Act. We want to know about their finances, too. And I would encourage all the backbenchers in radio to repeat exactly what I'm saying. Some of you already are. That's a good thing. Having a town car pick you up is way better than a yellow cab, said Joe Kotchett, a Burlington attorney and Democratic fundraiser, a longtime friend of the Pelosi's. Frankly, it's a cop out to say my husband makes the money, said Peter Schweizer, a fellow at Stanford Hoover's institution whose recent book, Do As I Say, Not As I Do, Politics is Liberal Hypocrisy, and so forth. Now, Nancy Pelosi said in 1985 that I won't be running for office, but she changed her mind where Representative Sala Burton died. Burton had been elected in 1983 to the, to the San Francisco seat after the death of her husband, Phil Burton. Now, Phil Burton was a radical left-wing kook. The Burtons had been political mentors for Nancy Pelosi, and Sala Burton, on her deathbed, urged Pelosi to run for the seat. And that apparently did it. Paul Pelosi was intimately involved in his wife's first election, joining two veteran San Francisco politicians and Phil Burton's brother as the triumphant behind the successful campaign. The political connections have continued. From the beginning, the Pelosi's have had a bi-coastal relationship. Bi-coastal, is that legal, Mr. Producer? With Paul Pelosi living and working in San Francisco and spending about a week or so each month with his wife in Washington. In terms of San Francisco, he and Nancy are interchangeable. He's there at so many events. If he's in the room, it's about like Nancy is in the room. He's a very effective surrogate. All right. They're very close. He's a political advisor. He does fundraising for her. He attends campaign events for her, as any good husband would. He subsidizes her lifestyle so she can play politics. And we know nothing, really. We know nothing about their finances. Very sketchy, superficial stuff, if you Google. And she determines what legislation reaches the floor of the House. Now, ladies and gentlemen, even putting aside her vitriol for the President of the United States and her demands for his tax returns, 
I am telling all Levinites out there, all of you wonderful patriots who I'm blessed to have in my audience to demand, to demand Paul and Nancy Pelosi's tax returns for the last 10 years and the demand that every member of Congress be required to do the same. We should demand that Mitch McConnell put that rule in order in the Senate and that Nancy Pelosi put that rule in order in the House. Mitch McConnell has a lot to answer for, too. He's extraordinarily wealthy. And he spent his entire life. So let us lead a new battle as the resistance to the resistance. Hello, as the resistance to the resistance. We want to see all their tax returns for the last 10 years. Nancy Pelosi has been in Washington, D.C. for over three decades. Since 1987, she was elected. Chuck Schumer has been in Washington, D.C. since 1981. By my calculation, 38 years. We don't know anything about his finances. We don't know anything. Nothing. And we want to know. We want to know about Mark Warner. Another one who's worth a couple hundred million. What legislation he pushes or kills. We want to know about their connections, if they have any connections with foreign banks. Any international investments. And their children. Of course, we need to know about Junior and Missy. All their children. We need to know about their investments too. Just like we need to know about Ivanka and Don Jr. and Jared Kushner. We need to know the Pelosi's have five children. Five. That we know of. So, are you with me or not? This is the resistance to the resistance. We want to see the tax returns for the last 10 years of every member of Congress, starting with Nancy Pelosi. And I know Mitch McConnell will want to block this. It's time to roll that old fool. And he is an old fool. We want their tax returns. Repeat. We want their tax returns. Repeat. We want their tax returns. All right. I'm going to go get a piece of a Hershey bar. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. you've heard President Trump will be on with Hannity tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern Time on the Fox News Channel. You know, there are some of us fighting the battle. We go on cable. We go on our own uh, digital TV platforms. We're on radio. We write. Got to keep fighting. You can't surrender to this. You know? This is our Spartacus, actually. I love when the Cory Booker This is my Spartacus moment. No, dummy. You look like an idiot. John, Easterville, Iowa, on the Mark Levin app. Go. Hi, Mark. Say, you know, I wanted to just say the crisis that I see at the border and the emergency situation is that we're bringing these people into California, and these guys are getting representation in 
in our Congress and in the Electoral College. Mm -hmm. I'm from Iowa. I got six electoral votes. And I frankly feel disenfranchised mm -hmm. by the by the number of representatives who probably wouldn't be there were it not for that illegal population. Well, you're quite right. Absolutely right. And, and you know, I don't really hear anybody talk about that. Well, it's talked about, but what do you want us to do about it? Well, I'm not talking about you per se. I'm just yeah. saying in general. It, it seems like well, it, see, here's the problem. Constitutionally, it's a close question because it doesn't use the word citizens. But you can be damn well sure that the framers didn't have in mind illegal aliens. No way. It's like this birthright citizenship. Nobody knows where it came from. And yet, nine out of ten lawyers who show up on TV, who know nothing but because they have law degrees, pretend they do, will tell you that birthright citizenship uh, is in the Constitution. No, it's not. They can't even tell you how it started or when it started. I can tell you more than they can tell you. It started about... 50-some years ago, 55, 60 years ago, the bureaucracy decided to treat children born here uh, from uh, people who are in this country, uh, including people here illegally, to treat them as citizens for bureaucratic and paperwork purposes. Prior to that time, they were not treated as citizens. Now try and undo it. No, Hello. I heard you talk about it. I heard you talk about it before. I agree with you 100. percent But you know, as I see the uh, it's, and by and by the way, the issue you raise is now in federal court. These federal left wing judges get to decide everything. That's not in the Constitution either. You know. Yeah, I know. This is that's why I think this needs to get a little more airplay, because like I said, I'm right here sitting in my living room in Iowa, and this is impacting me. Well, imagine imagine being an American citizen and a conservative Republican sitting in California. Of course. Mm -hmm. all, all the worse. And, you know, the thing is, I mean, it just doesn't extend to the presidential election, obviously, but, I mean, it does. Truly, mm -hmm. we have to cancel out those votes or they're canceling ours. But, really, these people are being represented every day in the halls of Congress. And that's why, more and more, it's going to be difficult to win this issue if we don't win this battle right now, right here, at this time, with this president. And I believe that there, these Democrats, like the gov new governor of, of California and now the mayor of New you York. You mean Gavin Grusom? Right, exactly. And even our old mayor here in Chicago, you know, it's, it's getting out. You know, I think that... You mean the ballerina? Exactly. He was, a, he was a ballerina, you know. Of course. And he probably still is. But the point is, <laughs> I think that they're deliberately... They're deliberately trying to draw people into these areas. Listen, listen. When when you say anybody who comes is welcome to our sanctuary, and when you say New York City, everybody who comes here illegal or otherwise, excuse me, undocumented or otherwise, uh, gets uh, free health care. Of course they are. Of course. And, lo and look, sanctuary, uh, sanctuary Nancy. Should I call her Nancy Baloney or Sanctuary Nancy? Baloney. Fine. Well, Nancy Baloney, uh, Miss uh, Sanctuary of uh, San Francisco. Uh, why do you think? She wants open borders. She wants to turn the whole country into California. Of course. So, I mean, All they right, can, my they friend. Can load up By the way, these electoral votes, and, and I mean that's why I think they're trying to concentrate these populations because if they disperse them across the United States, that may not have the impact of actually creating. All right, let me let me ask you something that's relevant. How's the corn crop in uh, in Iowa? Doing well. We did good this year. I'm a We're big corn good. guy. I eat corn all the time. Well, you wouldn't like our corn. We're, we're field corn. Oh, well, you're giving it to animals. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I don't eat that corn, but I do eat the animals. 
All right, my friend. Let's see. So my wife emails me. Uh, where do you have a Hershey bar? Uh, for me, it's for me to know and you to find out. <laughs> well, it's a small Hershey bar. Honey, you hid them in the pantry thing with the drawers in a little bottle. You think I didn't see it with the little Milky Way bars from Halloween? So I grabbed one. Uh, Michael, Atlanta, Georgia. How are you, sir? Good evening, Mark. It's an honor to speak to you. Thank you. Thank you for educating us on the fine points for our Constitution, our laws, and the machinations of our government. Thank you. Um, I'd like to make the point that I think much of our problems are self-induced on the right. Mm -hmm. And the point I'd like to make is that without accountability, our system has no integrity. Hey, Michael, I've got to take a break. Can you hang on? I apologize. Yes, sir. You're a 30-year vet, Naval Academy grad. I do not want to cut you short. And you're calling on the Mark Levin app. So we'll be right back to you, Michael from Atlanta. And I hope you'll join us, folks, in a minute. America's passionately cerebral voice. Talk with that voice now. 877-381-3811. Over the coming weeks, you'll hear me talk about one of the top issues in the mind of Americans. Drug prices. Pharmaceutical prices. Now, numerous economists and organizations like Americans for Tax Reform have studied this. I've studied this. Here's some facts you really need to know. Americans have access to more pharmaceuticals than any other country, including access to 95% of all cancer treatments, 95%. American drug companies produce more than half of the world's wonder drugs that improve the quality of life, extend the quality of life, and save lives because they invest about $90 billion every year on research. These amazing drugs allow people with painful, chronic conditions to lead more normal lives. And they don't just stop there. Their scientists are at work every single day looking to improve the drugs and looking to find other wonder drugs. Despite this magnificent, uniquely American success, here comes the government. Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar. Ever hear of him? Of course not. Well, he wants to adopt a Bernie Sanders socialist-style plan for drug pricing that mimics how countries with socialized medicine set pricing and limit patient access to cutting-edge medicines. Now, this plan will do what they always do, lead to scarcity, fewer choices, and worst of all, fewer life-saving breakthroughs. Instead of fighting to lower prices by making other nations pay their fair share for stealing our patent information, Secretary Azar wants to tell our American drug companies what they should charge. Now, that's not going to wind up very good, is it? And then the Democrats will take over, and then we're going to have a hell of a time. Bernie Sanders, no doubt, would like this plan. But more than 150 economists and 60 free market organizations oppose it because government price controls don't work. Government price controls never work. 
Go to TrueHealthCareFacts.com. That's TrueHealthCareFacts.com and get the facts. Because I'm going to dig in on this battle. I've always opposed this. TrueHealthCareFacts.com. And by the way, there's a lot of discussion about automation and how that's going to destroy the middle class. And 60 Minutes has a guy coming on I just saw who's going to tell us that it's going to destroy the middle class. I can imagine when the assembly line was perfected and automobiles were coming off the assembly line in the early days, people were talking about how all the, the buggy riders are going to be out of business and the buggy manufacturers are going to be out of business. Or when the invention of technology, all the propane companies are going to be out of the business. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I really don't understand this intellectual schizophrenia. On the one hand, we don't trust government. And why should we? There are no economic experts in government of any kind, really. You're the economic expert. You decide what you want to buy or what you don't want to buy. You decide. That's what capitalism is. Capitalism isn't a government-created economic system. It's a natural system of commerce. Nobody creates it. You just do it in a civil society where liberty is a priority. Now, people will say, but we need some regulations. We need some regulations. We have hundreds of thousands of regulations at the local, state, and federal level. So many, we don't even know what we have. And you're forced to comply with all of them, and so is every business and so forth in this country. Automation. These are technological advances. Do you know what automation and technological advances are all about? You know what capitalism is all about? You know what free enterprise is all about? You know what it's about? Knowledge. How your mind works. If you're going to control, if you're going to try and control the future, advances in technology and creativity and productivity and who knows what's out there, then you need to control the human mind and try and limit it. That's what the left always tries to do. Now apparently some progressive, uh, populists, I guess, are trying to do the same thing. Automation, look at all the people who are going to be put out of work. Look how many jobs were created when we went from horse and buggy to automobiles, when we went from propane to electricity. The reason these things are developed are not only to cut costs, but to improve human life. Otherwise, you wouldn't be interested in it. Or to accommodate a need or a desire. Otherwise, you wouldn't be interested in it. The great thing about America, the American people... And a free commerce system, if you will, or a freer commerce system, is the ability to develop products, to be creative. That's your mind, creativity, knowledge, and so forth. And to find ways to solve things. To say it'll put people out of work. Can you imagine how many people would be put out of work? Take a look at Cuba. Cuba is a, a snapshot of the 1950s. A poor third world country in the 1950s. 
There's a country that rejects automation, except for the communist dictators. There's a country that rejects capitalism, except for the communist dictators. But we'll be different in America. Why? Who's going to decide these things? And why do we allow them the power to decide these things? Now, economies, good economies, they're vibrant. Some products lose interest. The interest of the population, some products become stale and old. And they're replaced with other products. Because the human mind, when left to be free, wants to improve things. Handymen want to improve things. You look at even our own society. You look you look year to year. There was no Uber 10 years ago. People are looking at things, trying to change things, trying to improve things. Why? Because they might make money. Doesn't mean they're not earnest. It doesn't mean they don't care about the people in their community. Maybe they absolutely do. So they're driven by different forces, including wealth creation for themselves. So don't be afraid of automation. Some people are treating automation like it's climate change. You know, in 10 years, the world will be so hot that you can't sit on a public bench. You'll burn your ass. You know, it's like automation. Where, where, where will we go? Where will we get these jobs? And moreover, who do you think is going to build these things? Who do you think is going to maintain these things? Who do you think is going to fix these things? And then they, they create economic tributaries, other businesses, and so forth and so on. So it's really myopic to look at a vibrant economy this way. I'll tell you what I'm worried about. If this mindset takes hold and becomes the official policy of our government somehow, violating our constitutional rights as individuals and our private property rights to make decisions for ourselves, you would have the left and the populist right singing the same chorus. An anti-liberty, anti-private property, anti free commerce or freer commerce society which is dreadful it's bleak it promotes poverty and you know what comes with that the breakdown of the civil society so it's very troubling to me but one of the problems is there was a piece out today that said in 20 years The United States will be the third most prosperous economy on the face of the earth. I said, what the hell is that? China will be number one, India number two. Their populations are massive. But aside from that, you know, historically, or not ancient times, but historically, they've been very poor countries. In the case of China, they've stolen a ton of our technology. The case of India, they are actually embracing capitalism under their new prime minister several years, but he's, he's a capitalist. He works very, very closely with the technology companies in Israel. So China does a top-down autocratic state capitalism, stealing our technology because state capitalism doesn't work. It's a contradiction of terms. But they they use it to steal our technology. And then they, as you saw with my interview with Michael Pillsbury, 
Then they combine the military aspects and the civilian aspects. They don't care because the military controls the civilian. And in the case of India, they're adopting capitalism. What are we adopting? What are we adopting? We're attacking automation? We have people running around talking about 70%, 90% tax rates? Can you tell me anywhere on the face of the earth where they have 90% tax rates that aren't communist regimes? Or fascist regimes? What if we don't want to copy Holland and Denmark and Sweden? A.K.A. Scandinavia. Let them copy us. I don't care about Swiss chocolate. I really don't. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. All right. Now, here's a New Year's resolution that's easy to keep. Make 2019 your most comfortable and productive year ever. I'm serious. By getting yourself an X chair. I'm sitting in my X chair. I sit in this chair. Depending on the day, seven hours a day, ten hours a day. On the weekend, sometimes longer than that. I've been in the middle of writing my new book. By the way, you know what the title of my new book is, Mr. Producer? Iacocca. No, I'm just kidding. He already wrote a book. No, but I'm working on one. I think you're going to like it. So I used to constantly feel uncomfortable throughout the workday until I realized I was spending thousands of hours sitting in the wrong chair. It's important to make the right decision about your chair. So why don't you follow my example, test it through actual experience, and ditch that no-name superstore chair and trade up to the X chair. You deserve it. I've been raving about how much I love my X chair for months. Well, if you've been on the fence about buying one, I'm going to help you now. It's time to get off the fence. Here's the great news. Now, you can finance the purchase of your X chair for as little as $30 per month. Hello! You can finance it for as little as $30 a month. Once you sit on it, you'll understand why I love my X chair. X chair is on sale now also for $100 off. Now is the time to act. Just go to xchairlevin.com, xchairlevin.com, that's simple. Or give them a call, 1-844-4-X-CHAIR, 1-844-4-X-CHAIR. X-CHAIR comes with a 30-day, no-questions-asked guarantee of complete satisfaction, so there's no risk. Go to xchairlevin.com, and by the way, if you use code LEVINFOOTREST, well, you'll get a free footrest, too. XchairLEVIN.com or give us a call, 1-844-4-X-CHAIR. I want to get back to, I believe it was, uh, let me see, Michael in Atlanta. I apologize. Go right ahead, sir. Good evening again, Mark. Yeah. Um, the point I, point I wanted to make, because I think much of our problems on the right are somewhat self-induced. Um, without accountability, the system has no integrity. We have former members of the FBI who have committed seditious and felonious acts. We have former attorney generals who have provided false information to FISA courts. We have mayors and governors that have 
provided uh, aid to illegal aliens through sanctuary cities, and yet there are no indictments, nobody's been held accountable, and the Justice Department is basically missing in action. And when you allow people to break the law with impunity, you get more law-breaking. Well, that's true. The problem is that system is completely immune from us. So there's really nothing we can do about that except send virtuous people to Washington, D.C., which is what we're trying to do, but it's becoming increasingly more difficult. You've got these, uh, these governmental institutions that are devouring the civil society. You've got uh, more and more politicians like Pelosi and Schumer and so forth, and not just them. You've got people like uh, Murkowski from Alaska, uh, and uh, Collins uh, from Maine, who cast one good vote in her entire career, and uh, she got a ticker tape parade. Uh, and they lack virtue, in my view. They know the budget's out of control. They know the government's out of control. They know that, uh, that, that uh, a number of these people in the executive branch deserve a, a hell of a lot more scrutiny. So uh, anyway, that's I, where we are. I, I agree with you, but... President Trump, who I think is doing a terrific job, the Justice Department is under his uh, executive branch, and uh, he allowed... Yeah, but, but uh, no, a president can only do so much about that, because I want you to think about this a second. You can't have presidents getting involved in who is and who isn't prosecuted. You can't have presidents getting involved in who should be doing the prosecuting and who shouldn't be doing the prosecuting. That's not our tradition. That's supposed to really be a non-political function. So you're supposed to have an attorney general who's got a good head on his or her shoulders, who understands the objective, not only of the president, but of the law, and carries it through. And that hasn't happened. But when people say the president is in charge of the Justice Department, he's in charge to, to the extent he makes appointments and he sets overall policy. But he does not get involved in FBI investigations. He does not get involved in drug investigations. He does not get involved in prosecutorial decisions. I, I certainly understand that. but uh, So what do you mean? You have someone like, well, my point is, again, the accountability and the integrity. So you appoint attorney general. I know, general. but these are general statements. I'm talking about how the place functions. So how does that apply? What would you do? Well, for instance, uh, Attorney General Sessions immediately recusing himself. All right, he got rid of Sessions. Aside, now aside, what? Aside from the Russian issues, the other issues are these other things that went on as far as the FISA and the sedition and the FBI. Well, and- well, now, hold on now. Those things have been uncovered. They've been uncovered. The problem now is, are these people going to be charged? Now, McCabe is under investigation. Comey got away scot-free. It looks like uh, Stroke is going to get away scot-free. I don't know. But there's nothing the president himself can do from the Oval Office about that. No, I understand. And, and, sir, the American people made a decision that they wanted to shut down the congressional oversight of those investigations by sending the Democrats to the House. Now it's the greatest cover-up in modern history. Uh, I understand. All right, thanks for your call. We're going in circles. I don't know what to say. I'm telling you how it works or doesn't, how little control we have over it, how the president has a sort of general uh, oversight of it, and he keeps asking me, well, what are we going to do to charge these people? What are you going to... I have no idea. All I can do is tell you what I know. Sometimes there are no good, crisp, 
direct answers. There just aren't. Ladies and gentlemen, we salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel, our Border Patrol and ICE, all of our wonderful law enforcement, all of our wonderful military, and all of you patriots in every walk of life. Check out Levin TV, and I'll see you tomorrow. God bless.